All right, let's try this again. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another Bear Necessities podcast. You're always authentic and readily ridiculed Chicago Bears podcast. I'm your host, Austin, and uh, as I mentioned on the first attempt of recording this, we're going to be doing the ridiculing today because, uh, man, that was another pathetic performance we had uh, on week two against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, but, but Reese, um, how was your week this week? Yeah, yeah. All things Bears aside, definitely a pretty good week. Um, you know, always love this time of the year regardless, uh, even though the constant pain it seems like I'm going to and uh, the rest of us fans are going to be continually put through through the rest of the fall. Um, but still, you know, good things going on over here. Um, but yeah, certainly, um, you know, kind of be on the, the butt of every joke in the NFL right now. Yeah, got got you in some low places. I know too, like one of the cliffs that just made me kind of sink my head is like the first team to lose twelve straight games, giving up twenty five points in every one. And you're kinda of like, Yep, yeah, I watched it. I watched every bit of it. <laughs> yeah. It's as bad as it seems. Yeah, exactly. And man, I am happy we're not recording this last night because we might have had another uh post game pod like last week, which was, you know, not very child friendly i would say for our listeners who may potentially be listening to this while they drive their children to school um man this this was another tough loss i think things played out kind of exactly how we expected them to reese in terms of like how the game would go and it almost is getting to the point that it feels like we've seen this exact same game every single week from this team and like i don't I don't want to get rid of like, it's not always the same, right? The way that we lose, but that we kind of hang in around it till the end. We make some very stupid mistakes just in the middle. We hit lulls and then we get a chance to win it at the end. And and what happens? Play calling goes dry. Quarterback goes dry. Everything goes wrong. Receivers can't catch, you know, everything. Like there was like three penalties on the last drive drive from multiple teams. Like it just... This team has no propensity to win. And, and this is something that, you know, I feel like should really be the MO that is given to Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze is they go by this, this hits principle. They, you know, they go by, oh, if you get this effort, this is how you get the most out of players, this is how you win. And they're preaching this winning mentality, quote unquote, when they still have three wins under their belt. There's it's been 12 weeks. So in a matter of five weeks, and you know these are going to come up pretty quick because next week we're probably going to lose as well to the Chiefs. This these types of coaches, their message runs out pretty fast if wins don't start accumulating. There were excuses last year. Don't get me wrong. This year, there really isn't, um, and and I'm worried about it, man. Yeah, it is concerning too. Like I know I tried listening to as much as uh, of the kind of the press conferences, you know, be it post game. And then also uh, the ones from house hall today, just to kind of hear, you know, what Eberflus and what some of the players felt about it. And especially from Eberflus, like it's concerning when it's just like always talking about execution and it's like, Oh, we can't admit that, you know, running the same screen three times in a row at the end of the game was maybe not the best idea. Like, come on. Like we can't at least kind of be critical of, you know, of themselves in that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, certainly a lot of question marks there. And like you said, they're running out of excuses. I mean, they're kind of, at this point, walking up to the press stand 
and having questions lobbed at them and they're kind of trying to do their best to, you know, walk through them as, as neatly as possible, but they really don't have any answers. And I, I think at this point, you know, it's hard not to believe that, especially for the players that returned from last year, which of course there has been quite a bit of roster turnover, um, you know, all over the team on both sides of the football. But man, it, it's hard not to believe that, you know, some people's heads aren't already hung low and it's week two of the season. And it already feels like, to me, this feels like it's week 17 and we got another game left and it's kind of like, well, we're out of the playoffs. You know, do we just yep. lose to get a better draft pick? That's already the vibe around the team. And it's mm-hmm. just such a weird place to be so early in the season. It's tough. This game specifically reminds me a lot of the game we had against Houston last year in terms of people start questioning mm, yeah. the quarterback. Things are just not running right. Everything looks sloppy. Of course, last year we ended up winning it off of a, what was it? A pick. I can't remember if Roquan actually got in the end zone, but a pick. Um, and this year we end up losing it. This again, w- what's so concerning about this time around is that this is Luke Getze's second year around second year in the system for Justin Fields. Things are supposed to be cleaned up. Luke is supposed to know his quarterback better, know his players better. And to this point, everything just seems off. There were multiple plays again this week where the same receivers are running routes into each other. Curl, <laughs> double curls. Right? The, as J.T. O'Sullivan said, this play does not exist in football. <laughs> There's going to be a couple more of it's those. A tip drill. They're just lining up in case one of them, you know, <laughs> doesn't catch it. And it's crazy. It, it was literally multiple weeks in a row. And even players crossing in front of each other, having crossing patterns that just aren't lining up well. I think that that plus, you know, in I'm not going to say it's all on the offensive line because Justin certainly didn't do a lot of favors this week. There were some open player, open plays he missed. I would say not as bad as in week one, but there were open plays that he missed. Um, but the offensive line has been still in unstable, um, you know, I'm not, again, a lot of that on Justin this week, but just still hasn't been great. And it was actually funny because I was thinking the same exact thing um, when we were recording the uh, pregame podcast for the Bucks. We we're talking about how they just need to, you know, throw blitz beaters and they can really get around this. That, that's really the crucial key to defeating this Todd Bowles defense. Right. And in my head, I just remember, I, like, I almost said something. I didn't say it, but I was like, the Bears also need to have multiple different types of blitz beaters because they rely way too heavily on the one that ended up getting picked, right? That, that's kind of their classic blitz beater play. And when something doesn't go right, if a you know edge defender just floats out to the flat, they can take the ball out of the air instantly. And again, they ran the play two times in a row. And I remember... When Justin was in the end zone, I told my dad, I was like, they're running the exact same play. That's how straightforward you could see it from the way that they were aligning. What would have been really good for Gutsy is to actually not do that play and actually, you know, build a scheme where everything looks similar, and, you know, and, and, but it's different in a way, kind of like how Kyle Shanahan does, which I kind of want to get to that later in the episode about how embarrassing it is to actually associate this scheme with Kyle Shanahan because it's not even close. It's not even a Kyle Shanahan scheme. Um, but, but it just like, isn't an appearance. Like they, they try to do some of the fancy motions, but in reality, they're just confusing themselves ultimately. Exactly. <laughs> what it seems like. Exactly. And just one, one last comment on, on that, you know, game ending 
pick six. Listen, that as much as I'm I'm going to come at Justin in this episode, that wasn't on Justin per se. It seemed like okay. First off, horrible play call in that circumstance. Very easy read for the defense to understand what was going on again. Second thing, I'm not exactly sure what was going on with Claypool in that play. I don't know if he was supposed to have some sort of rub on a defender, um, but Clay, as soon as that play happened, Claypool left the game and he was getting ridiculed by Tyke Tolbert uh, on the sidelines. And then on top of that, he mentioned in his press conference that he thought that play was kind of on him. So I'm interested. I'd be interested to see if he lined up incorrectly or what happened there. Um, but like that's at the end of the day, that's just an excusable play call, like inexcusable play call. There's so much more you can do from that position. I get it. You're again in your end zone, but there's a lot of other plays you can call that can work out pretty well. You'd also think that with the ultimately, I say that's just a a terrible play call to run the end zone in particular. Yeah. I mean, not only do you run the risk of that, but it's not like Justin Fields could necessarily always airmail it anywhere because then you run the risk of being a safety and intentional grounding. And then you're also releasing your blocks earlier, bringing pressure towards them faster. I feel like that's ultimately like I get the idea. Like you said, yes, it is a blitz beater, but to to commit to that in that situation is bold and mm-hmm. to, to double down and actually triple down on it because when they initially got the whatever penalty it was, I can't remember the exact sequence of it, but two of the plays were penalized. So they really ran three first downs, but all of them were screens. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was ridiculous to triple down on that. Um, and, and it's just, I don't understand too. What really gets at me as well. And, and I think Chase Claypool had a better game overall. Obviously, he had that nice touchdown catch yep. on what was Justin Fields' best throw of the game, uh, which was good to see. But at the same time, to get that offensive pass interference call, and then he says, well, I wasn't sure if it was a run or a pass play or a run or a screen play. Yeah. Like, that is just, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's almost been in this system for a year. What is, like, what is this coaching staff? Uh, clearly they're inexperienced, but man, it just seems like they are like, they can't even tread water here. They're sinking, they're drowning in in the pressure of trying to put together something and and not to, to run on forever here. But I feel like the most frustrating thing with Justin Fields is it seems like he's almost being like borderline overcoached here, which seems crazy because he did have to clean up his game, but just doesn't seem like he's even quite playing like himself anymore. Yeah. I think that they have him thinking about things so hard and trying to speed up his process so much that it's just, it's having the complete opposite effect. And he, his skills and his strengths and weaknesses, not all of them, but some of them have interchanged from the beginning to the end of, or the beginning to where he is in his career now. It's just crazy. I, I can't quite fathom it. I know it falls into the Bears narrative like perfectly, but my goodness. Yeah. Well, the 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 key thing here overall is just that this this coaching staff is clearly flawed. I mean, like I I don't know about you, and I'm not trying to write them off, but it. To me, I already see it as a foregone conclusion that this isn't a good coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, that I think, yes. Like last year, 
the three and fourteen record as a whole was understandable. But I forgot who tweeted it out, and and, and not that Twitter is the best place to source opinions. <laughs> but it's like, what coaches lose twelve? What good coaches lose twelve straight games? Yeah, even with like even shorthanded. Yep. Like you find a way. There, there's some week that you, that you find a way in there. And you kind of hit at the beginning, like the propensity to win. I, I think now they just, I'm sitting there, it's 20 to 17, right? Bears have a chance. I'm not even thinking about them getting the go-ahead touchdown. I'm thinking about them getting the game-tying field goal. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I still didn't think they were going to do it. Yeah. and I knew it was going to end in some kind of way. I didn't know if it was going to be a pick six, but I knew they weren't going to score. It's because this team plays up to better talent and plays down to lower talent, but at somehow every single time they find a way to lose the game. Like watching this game was almost like clockwork. I like this was a game that we saw so many times last year. And I just feel like Luke Getze, I think he can do good things. And I think that he's done good things in certain times for this bears team, but his play calling in crucial situations last year was extremely poor. And like, I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's still something we talked about, but I still gave him the benefit of the doubt just because of the talent that was lacking around him. Like maybe the receivers aren't getting open. Maybe the, you know, equanimity same Brown drops a pass or whatever, but this year those excuses are not there. And this is going to be a, this is a common trend amongst the entire bear team. Bears team. The excuses aren't there anymore, but the problem still exists. And like, that's a huge issue with how much was invested into this team. Um, you just, it, this, I feel like it's Groundhog's Day every single time we won. I think last year we had eight one score games, uh, and like six of those, the Bears had a chance to win at the end and they lost every single one. The play calling in crucial moments is horrible. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think Eberflus's kind of message from what I could gather in the press conferences were is we're improving. And even if that is the case, I mean, other teams are improving around the league and they're improving a whole lot faster. <laughs> you know, they are, are getting um, things to grips. And I think that, you know, yesterday or well, this week, because the Vikings played on Thursday, everyone in the division lost. But that wasn't any kind of solace for me because I'm beyond caring about what the rest of the division is doing at this point because it already seems like we're a little bit in crisis mode with ourselves here. Um, I do think there was some good things. Like, ultimately, it was good to see DJ Moore go over 100 yards. Happy about that. Um, You know, defensive side of the ball, Billings played well at defensive tackle, made an impression. Um and I think the defensive calling as a whole, like it was good to see them get the blitz. They got a lot more pressures this week, um, but they weren't able to ever really make the sacks happen. They're making Baker look like Heisman level Oklahoma play. <laughs> like Seriously. I thought we were watching him back in college again, um, which was crazy. And I think even too one thing that was like, oh my goodness, they got the splash play and they got the blocked field goal. But to me, I really was starting to doubt the game when they didn't cash in on it. When you yeah. couldn't cash in on the momentum of blocking the field goal, that really started to make me put like, yeah, we're probably not. I don't think we're going to be able to pull this one out. 
Um, and, and even too, like I gotta give him credit. I forgot who was it. Jalen Johnson had the nice kind of like peanut punch. Um, they're getting the ball out, but they just weren't able to recover it. So yeah. I think it was a step up for the defense as far as you know trying to generate more turnovers. And overall, you know they have them at twenty points with a chance to go ahead and you know score the game winning touchdown if you wanted to or had game tying field goal even though they gave up a boatload of yards they didn't necessarily break so they gave the offense a chance but like you said same old story especially from last year offense got a chance can't do anything with it so it's like banging your head up against a wall it's a, <laughs> it's a terrible feeling I also feel like there is a lot of criticism on Justin and I, I that is completely validated but it doesn't help when receivers are not running proper routes like a part of anticipation is having the confidence that your player is going to be where he needs to be after the play and you'll notice that Justin can get have some pretty and good anticipation throws when it comes to a player like DJ Moore but then when you see you know when it gets to Chase Claypool or maybe even Roshan Johnson he's lacking that anticipation and I think a part of it truly is that he just doesn't trust what he's seeing because everything is always wrong. And like uh, we saw this also, this is what I'm going to say for Justin. We saw this also both his rookie year and his second year. It took him a little bit to heat up, you know, getting into the season for his rookie year. He had some really, really bad games. And then he started heating up and had that awesome Monday night was, I think it was Monday night football performance against the Steelers. And then the first four weeks of the season, he was or three weeks of the season, I should say, he was kind of stalling along. And then in in the Patriots game, a game that no one thought we'd be in, we absolutely wrecked them. My my question for Luke Getze is like, clearly you're stretching the and here's why I'm not gonna just put it on Justin. Clearly, no one in the offense on a given play really knows what they're doing. So it's not only Justin in the offense that doesn't know what he's doing, it's also Cole Komet. It's also Chase Claypool. It's also Darnell Mooney, DJ Moore. All these players do not know what they're doing in a given play. They're creating plays that do not exist. And the fact that the double curl is now a staple in the Bears offense seemingly every given week, it's telling me that this coaching staff is doing something wrong. They're either giving the team too much and 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 not a, not adapting their playbook down to what is realistic for year two of a system. That could be one scenario. Or they're not teaching the details well enough to any of these players that they don't really know where they're specifically supposed to be. Um, I think it's the latter. I think that they're trying to force players to play out of where they really should be and, and in a way they really shouldn't be. And at the same time, also not teaching the details. I'm, I'm concerned, man. I'm concerned. It seems like no one on a given snap knows what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think some of the players are even getting at it too. Or maybe it was even Chase Claypool himself that said it as far as like it takes one guy out of position to really kind of screw a play up. And yeah. that's happening on way too many of these plays for the Bears. Um, it just continually, which is just infuriating. And I think with Justin Fields, like, Obviously, we've been pretty big believers of him on this podcast. I think we've given him um, a lot of chances to win us over, and I still don't necessarily blame everything on him. Like, flat out, yes, like he's missing reads now um, as far as like when he's dedicated in the pocket as a passer, and that's not necessarily the best thing to see. 
Um, but I think really just the biggest thing, and I think that the toll of losing, and I think the toll of having, um, you know, that many opportunities to go ahead and have game winning drives and not, you know, converting on them is starting to get to him. And I think that he has like a, uh, had a lot of confidence in himself coming into this situation, but I really just think that it's, it is starting to eat at him a bit. And I, I really hate to say it, but, you know, really projecting forward here. Cause I'm not asking for any move to be made. Um, and I'm not going to be someone really at any point in the season that's cheering for, you know, anyone to fill in for him. I, I think that that'd be stupid. I don't think there's really a situation outside of injury or health related that I want to see, anyone other than Justin Fields at quarterback for this team. But it's just like, if it keeps going like this for them, it feels like it's almost going to be mutually beneficial for the bears and him to just like part ways. Like, yeah. look, man, like try to start fresh. It just seems like your experience here as a quarterback for this team is just like eating away at you. Cause I do feel like his confidence is starting to like shrivel up a little bit. Like even in his way of scrambling, like just a couple of instances where he literally ran like right into the the defensive line was just like, whoa, it's like yeah. even the scrambling is like starting to get like breaking down. It's not even working right there. I'm also just so confused as to like, again, you're supposed to be a Shanahan scheme. Why are we not moving the pocket? Why are we not rolling out? Why are we not calling RPOs like it just it doesn't make yeah. it doesn't make any sense to me. I again like we're, sometimes I think this like, or RPOs that make sense instead of yeah. I, I just feel, feel like I'll, that. I'll build off you. At, <laughs> yeah, you you mean not calling only blind RPOs where he's <laughs> where they're letting a linebacker right <laughs> yeah. off the edge up and has to yeah. read the other side for the pass then. Yeah, it makes no yeah, sense. Exactly. Um, that and that's a, again another staple of the Luke Getzey offense. It is truly embarrassing to call this a Shanahan offense because it it lacks the it lacks the just absolute critical nature of being detail oriented with everything. You know, the Shanahan as much as you can say, oh yeah, he's never really truly developed a quarterback. None of his quarterbacks have ever looked this bad, and he's been doing it with much less talent. You know, I mean, even going back to uh, when they had what was it, C.J. Beathard at quarterback um, for them, like it, it he never oh, yeah. looked as incompetent in the offense as at times even Fields has. And obviously, Beathard was not even close to the type of quarterback that Fields is. There are so many teams in this league that could absolutely maximize Fields' talent. And what Luke Getze is doing is he is trying to force him into being a player that he's not. There's this one crucial component of coaching, and the way that they always break it down is you want to give a player enough where he's still able to be you know, successful, still under feel confident in what he's doing, but add on one thing, you know, he just needs to focus on one thing. And then once he masters that it's the next step. And once he masters that it's the next step, you never want to give a player or a per, and this is in, in teaching in general, you never want to give a player or a person too much to consider because then they just dr drop it all. They, they're focusing on too many things. Their focus is too broad that they can't, succeed in that circumstance the best way in football to learn is to learn when you're winning or when you're doing something good this offense should have came out looking exactly the same way it was built last year 
post the Patriots game, that same sort of offense, getting Justin on the run, letting him do what he's already good at, and then just asking him to do one more thing. Justin, if you don't if you don't see anything open at this time, we want you to use the check down. Okay, boom. I'm not saying don't have new plays. I mean, that's a common thing, but I don't think players learn well when you're just throwing them out there and seeing what sticks. And no good offensive coach is going to expect that from from their players. They're not going to expect them to all of a sudden know every single aspect of their offense. And I just think this is what happens when you get someone that really has very limited play calling uh, responsibilities. I mean, he was a QB coach prior to joining the Bears, so even limited coordinator experience. Um, It's just kind of a mess all around. Yeah, no, I think you really kind of hit the nail on the head there as far as just trying to instill too many things at once. Like, ultimately, Justin Fields is the player that he is, and, you know, when we were on this podcast discussing drafting him, we knew the flaws that he had, but kind of trying to, you know, take all those at once, I think kind of leads to a little bit of regression in some areas that you see, like a little bit of hyper-focusing. Um, ultimately, you got to just, at this point, like Luke gets he's got to find a way to go out there and let him play like himself, you know, and maybe that means kind of tearing it all the way back and just building brick by brick <laughs> um, until we figure out kind of what can work here. But like you said, yeah, the logical thing would be build off the successes of last year. And I don't think they need to go absolutely crazy with the design runs. But like you said, moving the pocket and then kind of giving them that option to bail on it and then just go into a run from there. Um, definitely sounds and looks good for at least the way the offense is playing right now. And yeah, I mean, it just really makes you think too, like, where is where is Justin Fields with Mike McDaniel as his coach right now? Yeah. You know, I think that, of course, you'll never know for sure. It's it's a great hypothetical and hypotheticals don't really get you anywhere because it's obviously it's different than reality. But it really seems like, you know, Justin Fields would definitely be in a better place because Tua was definitely not perfect. I think he has some really good skills as a passer, just like Justin Fields did um, coming out of college. But. You know, Mike McDaniel's really been able to seize what Tua does best and then, you know, help him work on the other things. But at no point does Tua seem really completely overwhelmed that he's been able to go out there and perform. Or even look, too, um, I'm not 100% sure who the Texans' offensive coordinator is, but we already got C.J. Stroud throwing up in the 300s (laughs) (laughs) with kind of like mid-wide receivers on the Texans. Like, it's really... I think as much as Getsy has overcomplicated things for Justin Fields, I think he's overcomplicated things for himself. Um, I think that really has gotten too much in his own head, obsessed with seemingly like obsessed with making screen passes worked with these kind of interesting pass protections. I know that <laughs> we had to start this podcast over. I brought up, you know, Comet kind of going right into the B gap between the tackle and the guard and leaving Darnell Wright out to dry and basically allowing Shaq Barrett to get off fairly clean to Justin Fields. And it's just, why are we doing things in this way? It's just not even logical. Yeah. And I really, I, at times it just leaves me scratching my head as far as not only just the play call, but play design. And, And that really makes you feel like the offense is, is broken and and it it doesn't look great running the ball or passing. 
And they have no offensive identity once again, which is actually something I came out of last season, like really feeling confident in is I was like, wow, this is one of the first times in Bears history that I've really felt like the offense had a clear identity and it was explosive and it had like, sure, it wasn't always efficient, but it like the run game was dominant at most of the time through multiple running backs. And it's not a, a David Montgomery thing or a Khalil Herbert thing or Roshan Johnson thing. It's like, it's just an issue all around once again. And it looks, this team looks exactly how they did the first three weeks of the season last year. I mean, it's embarrassing and people like we were looking up, you know, not to look ahead, but Kansas city. Okay. Then you have Denver and then you have Washington right now at this moment. If we roll out the same product again, we're not winning any of those games. And these are bad team, not Kansas city, obviously not, but these other two teams are <laughs> not good teams, not good teams. Kansas city's also shown the ability to be beaten. The lions beat them and they clearly don't have the receiver talent that they had previous years. Um, they're, they're a team that the Bears, with the amount of investment put into it, hype drawn up this offseason, that should have been a competitive game. Hence why it was put as the Fox game of the week, right? Which, <laughs> joke's on us, that's going to be horrible. The more 425 time, or that's Eastern time, but you know, 325 Central time time games that, that we're playing, the, the more this team's going to get ridiculed. And I I just, I, I don't get it. And to be honest, I don't want to look ahead, but I do. I don't think that this coaching staff, if they can't get it out, I, like I'm, I'm going to reserve my comments on Ryan Poles because at the end of the day, Ryan Poles' job is to surround this roster with talent, and I think that he's done that pretty well, to be honest, in his time being here and put us in a very favorable cap situation. Not that that's enough. That's not how, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to be evaluated by how many games he's won. But the the coach, the coaching hire to me, and even looking back now, especially in thinking about the, the finalist candidates that were named out, like, I mean, the, this was, this is laughable, you know, and I don't know if it was just not that appealing of a coaching job yeah. or what, but we sure got a lot of interviews, but like, come on guys, this is the modern day NFL I don't even think that any of the guys that were our finalists would have worked out and the other two aren't coaching coaches right now either. Um, I, I think that if this season doesn't work out, I think you got to scrap it and start over. And I think that, you know, Kevin Warren not being as present, he will probably agree with that. This is a team that he inherited as well. I'm also interested to see if, something comes out in regards to the hiring of Eberflus and also the hiring uh, or like the candidates, the candidate pool. If something comes out similar to when Ryan Pace was hired in terms of getting John Fox as a coach, uh, which I know that's been, mm -hmm. that's yeah. been uh, the, the whole polls picked Eberflus thing has been really drawn up in the media. But I do wonder considering that, you know, <laughs> The leadership team that was put together did a lot of those coaches' interviews before a GM was even hired. If there was any meddling in that situation, look, like I think the most indicting thing on this coaching staff is is what Eberflus came in and said that he was going to do, and I don't think he's delivered on either of it. You know, no, I think as far as making the defense stronger, that's clearly been a miss. 
And he said the integrity was going to be good. And honestly, the Bears still feel heavily penalized. And he talks about it week to week about how much they're going to clean it up. And they're certainly not there. Braxton Jones has just been a penalty machine (laughs) this year. Just unreal. Holdings, false starts, you name it. Um, He also just flat out looked shaky in this past game. Um, And then on the defensive side of the ball, I get the handicap with the defensive line. Which, you know, shout out to Rasheem Green. I feel like I gave, I don't know, him, or maybe some people would perceive that I gave him a little bit of shade. Nice job on the block field goal. Yep. Um, I know that I wasn't hyped that he was rostered and Terrell Lewis was off of it. But as far as the defensive line, I know that's a handicap for Iberfus and what he wants to do defensively. But they're really just not good at following anything that he preaches about, which to me is a major concern. Like, if you can't even deliver on, on what you said your main principles would be, then what are you doing here? Because you're not doing anything at all as far as I'm concerned for this team. And the staff that he brought on is bad too. He he brought on a bad staff, and that's like the mistake, the biggest mistake number two. Like staff is extremely important, and his assistants don't really seem to be doing anything to help. Um, I think all the way down to positional coaches, there's still mistakes that – get cleaned up and you're like, I don't understand how someone's in the NFL that has this position and this is how yep. people perform. Um, and it's both sides of the ball. It's all over. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got shout out to special teams for making a play in this game, but it, it's just, it's, it's a shallow place. This team is in a shallow place. Um, and it's incredible for it being there after two games. And you talked about Kansas city, this would be like the the best time to go out and strike and get a win in Kansas City, um, and, and it seems very, very, very unlikely um, with the way this team has been playing. And this is this is the one bit of hope I'll give is that this was the same conversation that we were having after the Washington game um, last year, before going into the Patriots. It just was a crazy horrible loss the offense looked abysmal and then we're going to we're we're heading to uh god why can't i think of the patriots what was the Patriots stadium though i'm trying to remember oh gillette stadium gillette yeah heading to gillette on sunday night football to play the patriots and we're like well this is gonna go poorly i hope we have that sort of turnaround again here and just like thinking forward again I do feel like the most likely situation that we come out of the season with is improvement on the offense and improvement potentially even on the defense, you know, win six or seven games still, but be very concerned about the integrity of this roster and this coaching staff and like not so sure about the future. Um, I, I do think that eventually the talent will show through and this coaching staff has shown the ability to make some progress in the season. But at the same time, I I question at this point if it's worth it, to be honest. Like, not, not hating on Justin Fields. Again, I'm a huge Justin Fields fan, and I notably said that if this coaching staff and this Bears organization ruins Justin Fields, I'll never forgive them because I was that confident in Justin Fields when we drafted him. I'll never forget the night we drafted him. But I don't. I'm starting to get to the point where I feel like this coaching staff is a sinking ship. I don't I don't believe they have the capability of winning 
a Super Bowl. <laughs> I don't believe they have the ability of winning a playoff game. I don't even know if they have the ability to put together a winning season because once again, we're 12 games in. Again, many of those games against very bad teams. And now we have a, a loaded roster and the same exact issues as last year are prevalent. It it do, it seems like we're on a sinking ship and I wonder if it would be just better to let the ship sink than to try to, you know, pull out the emergency boats and try to stay afloat. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that I think what really sucks is it seems like you know, as a Bears fan, we've been down this road so many times before, and it seems like a cycle. And I think the part of it that hits even the worst, and I think that it, it's a little bit of a knock on Justin Fields, but I think it's really a knock on this coaching staff in particular, or at least that's how I aim it to be. Of course, you know, Fields did spend, you know, that majority of the season under being coached by Nagy um, in his final season, but... And his time as a bear, Justin Fields' record is five and twenty-two. Now, of yeah. course, last year a lot of that, you know, is kind of acceptable given what he had around him. But that is unreal. Like you're telling, if you would have told me, you know, after we drafted him and says, okay, twenty-seven games in, Justin Fields is going to have one five. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have definitely thought that you're joking. That yeah. is is pretty bad. Yeah. No, it's 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 horrible. It's really, really bad. And I, again, I, I hope that things magically change and, and things magically flip around. But again, it just seems like we are in the same circle, same commentary as always. I really wish that we can come on here and say something positive because again, we're, we're definitely, we definitely try to stay positive with this team. We definitely, I think that there's still a lot of good about this team, but it's just, really hard to imagine a situation at this point where this coaching staff ends up being successful long term and again that's why i just don't i don't know what's in the bears best interest now that also hits on a, a larger point which is all throughout the past like 10 years coaches are constantly coaching guys they didn't draft and gms are constantly stuck with coaches that they either inherited or uh, the the ownership helped pick it. It just seems like they really everything is misaligned all the time, and that's why I'm almost saying if we are out on Justin Fields, we should just be out on the coaching staff, bring someone else in, and let's let's see what can happen. Yeah, no, it does seem like that reset does kind of need to happen at some point. Um, I think it's just infuriating when you can see other teams around the league kind of pick it up and it's not always the teardown that you see with the bears. Um, Cause of course this one has happened and we've seen, you know, some of our star players get, you know, cut or traded away because they just didn't fit the scheme, especially on the defensive side of the ball anymore. You know, it's just, it's rough to kind of constantly have to go through that cycle. Now, of course it, when it all lines up and it does go right, it's going to seem a hundred percent worth it. But it's like, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, especially at the quarterback position, I think that's where it really hits at is like, it seems like everyone's always kind of got this excuse of, well, we didn't draft the quarterback, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And it just seems even more laughable when you think about like, okay, we gave pace and Nagy a final year to go ahead and pick the quarterback and then fire him afterwards, which, yep. 
I'm not on here to debate the firing of Matt Nagy or Ryan Pace, but it's just like, how many times are we going to go back through this? Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, what it all boils down to is like, it would be amazing to step onto this podcast and be positive during the season and not have the most positive and exciting moments be in the off season. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. That would be a, a real change of pace. And, and I think that there are some bright spots and I think that it is exciting to have a player like DJ Moore on this team. Um, but I think it actually just makes it even worse when it's still not going right. And yeah, I, I think that this is hopefully, hopefully this is rock bottom for the season. Kind of what you're getting at Austin. Um, but it's very believable. I mean, it almost seems certain at this point that they're going to be Owen three and it's just, as each week goes on, it's like, okay, so when do the locker room things start coming out, right? Yep. When do these receivers clapping their hands for the football turn into, well, I just can't get the football. I'm, I'm mad. I'm not getting the football, things like that. Like what, what does it really take for this to spiral out of control? Um, and you know, are we already almost there? <laughs> uh, so I think this season is, it feels like it's on its way to be a long one. At the same time, there's so much football ahead, and there's some teams that are 0-2 right now that maybe could be playoff teams. Don't expect that to be the Bears at all, even if they can get somewhat of this turned around. But, man, it's a weird place to be. And another thing I will say is that the the extreme positivity here is that if this team does go and lose a lot of games, they will have a high draft position in a, a amazing quarterback draft class, which you know is is very favorable. Also have two first round picks from the way that the Panthers are playing right now. It doesn't seem like seems like that one will be a high pick as well. And also the team's infrastructure this time around, if we were to flip things around and get a new coaching staff, seems like it has the pieces to potentially make a rookie quarterback get <laughs> well, let's just say it, give them a shot for once in their first year, you know? Like I if if we were to draft a quarterback this offseason, whoever inherits this team, they're easily going to be the quarterback with the best situation going into their rookie year than we've seen from a Bears quarterback in God knows how long, right? Again, don't want to think too disastrously, but there are some good head coaching candidates coming up, including, you know, I, I truly feel like by the end of the season that Tampa Bay OC is going to be in line for probably a head coaching job as well. Uh, just based on his performance recently too, uh, Ben Johnson, guys like that. There are opportunities out there. My bigger question is: <laughs> Is ownership okay with 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 scrapping the plan this quickly again? I mean, doesn't I, I don't think so. I think I don't I think so either. Hit at that last week, I, and that's what really sucks is not knowing just how many year of a plan this was drawn out to be. Um, but it's really putting us fans through it. <laughs> so hopefully the quicker, the quicker, the better. I'd really prefer this not to be a, you know, we improve by two wins every season until we're eventually a, a nine win team. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's going to be absolutely brutal. Um, but yeah, I, I, and the bears are definitely not one to fire mid season. So I'd never really think that that would be the case. So it's just really a matter of if it does keep going wrong for this team, just how bad is it at the end of the season, which obviously if we're looking this bad at the end of the season still, like I, I don't see how you can 
convince anyone to to keep your job. But this is the Bears we're talking about, and unfortunately, it seems like sometimes all possibilities are open. I think this coaching staff truly needs seven wins to 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 push through. I don't think I don't think they're. I would be very surprised. I think polls has a longer leash, to be honest, because again, getting a head coach hire right is difficult, and we're seeing much more commonly now in the NFL that the GM GMs will are able to get through one or two coaches um, and survive that. Whereas in the past, it hasn't tended to be the case. We've also been seeing coaches getting let go a lot earlier than people thought they would, you know, urban Meyer, Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, these are guys with, and obviously this, you know what? I'm not even going to say that. Obviously, Meyer, I don't even think Meyer won a game to begin with. But, like, putting this these past couple performances on par with, like, Nathaniel Hackett, I don't think that's crazy, to be completely honest. No, I don't think so. Um, especially when it just comes to game management and just coaching and seeing how the team is prepared. I think that it's actually kind of surprisingly on par. But it's just like, are, are the Bears up to speed with the league enough to, to realize that, though? Because they still yeah. very much seem, and hopefully with Kevin Warren at the helm and with polls would be vouching to make a change. Um, but it just seems like they're usually slow to react on everything. Now, I'm here to be surprised. <laughs> yeah. um, but, of course, we're talking about the doomsday scenario. Um, yeah, I mean... I don't. I won't get into the Chiefs game or anything really kind of weeks ahead anymore because we'll save that for the pod later this week. Um, but I think looking ahead, it's going to be bleak. I don't want to completely write off this coaching staff, but they have opened every invitation for criticism, and I think they deserve almost all of the questions. Sometimes there's some stupid questions, but almost all of the questions that they're receiving um, from fans and the media because – they they have mightily underperformed and expectations are expectations you know sometimes the team itself can't do anything about them but you know the players still seem hyped for the season and i think that they should be feeling like they underperformed it's just uh yeah i I don't know i don't know if we've really as bad as the bears have been this is one of the rougher starts to a season that i think that even we've experienced especially since you know, doing this podcast, which has been for a good while now, this at least, you know, from vibes and all that seems like the worst. (laughs) Only thing I can compare it to is 2019. I mean, going in with such high expectations and completely flatlining. Third year. Yeah. The third year of the quarterback too. It's just always delivers. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Let's let's kill this thing. I don't I don't want to belabor the point. This is all around bad. Every like everywhere. Once again, JTO Sullivan mentioned he's he he did an hour long uh, video last week. This week it's ninety minutes. So I made uh, it through about half an hour before we could record. Oh, um, and what it's about saying? what you expect. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily repeat a lot of what he said verbatim. Um, the one thing that I brought up directly from him was like that blind RPO is just basically pointing out the idiotic play design there. Um, he gets into, of course, you know, some of Fields' reads, um, but also, you know, route design as well. I think there was a route on Claypool um, that was like the 
like the flag route and it was kind of like the flag route and stop. Um, and he kind of came back in towards the hash marks instead of towards the sideline and, and feels actually kind of had a decent anticipation on it, but you just, you see the clutter, you see the mess. Um, and you see just the improper use of a lot of players. Um, so I, I think that it's going to make you even more infuriated after you see it. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Well, with that, we're going to send you out with some relaxing, soothing music. Oh, baby. Thank there you guys go. again for joining us, uh, even in pity, because, you know, sometimes when I listen to a podcast after a loss, I don't even want to hear it, you know? Like, I just want to avoid the problem till next week <laughs> and then get disappointed again on Sunday. Mm. So our jobs are certainly yeah, harder no, after I mean, losses. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, um, but we've become quite used to it. So uh, don't worry about us. We'll keep pumping out the the product, no matter what product is being put out on the field. Um, but yeah, appreciate, especially you made it all the way this through. Just this negative Bears talk. Really appreciate you tuning in as always. Um, didn't mention it, but leave a five star rating and review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Drop those five stars if you're listening on Spotify. Um, we really appreciate all you guys' support. Yeah. Thank you guys again and bear down. Bear down. You've never made it to this part in the song. Oh man. I mean it, I mean it's a pure, RPO is the purest form of communism. I mean Especially the blind RPO. <laughs> <laughs>